Hello and welcome to Decoding Duchenne with me, Claire Ronakers, brought to you by the charity Duchenne UK. Every mother will fight for their child, it's innate. But when you're told that your child has a life-limiting illness, it's hard to know who to fight or how to fight. Today I'm joined by two mothers who had a choice to be defined by Duchenne or to be defined by how they reacted to it, and they chose action. To fight against their personal grief and anger to change the course of this disease. They're the co-founders of Duchenne UK, Emily Crossley and Alex Johnson. Hello. Hi. Emily, when did Duchenne muscular dystrophy come into your life? I first heard about it by Googling it. Uh, and I think that's quite common to many parents when they're diagnosed. Uh, it was a horrible March night and uh, we'd had concerns about my son for, for about a year and eventually we got to see a physiotherapist and um, Looking back now, I can tell that she knew straight away what it was, but she didn't tell me. Instead, she told me that she was going to refer me to a consultant and that they would do a, a test, a CK test. And she said to me, don't Google it, um, but they will do that and I'll get an appointment for you next week. Um, so I went home and I Googled it. Yeah. And, uh, and then these words came up. Yeah. And how much did you look into it at that point? I knew almost immediately that it had to be Duchenne because uh, he, my son Eli had very um, obvious symptoms. He had very um, enlarged calf muscles and he the way he gets off the floor, which I thought was just a sweet little quirk, uh, turns out is a very <laughs> obvious um, symptom of Duchenne. It's called the Gauss Manoeuvre and you use your hands to push yourself up your thighs. Um, so that was when I first ever heard the words Duchenne and I was completely, I just had no words to describe that moment of devastation because uh, I never had imagined there could be such a cruel disease, um, you know, knowing that I would watch my son lose all the abilities I had just learnt, um, mm -hmm. you know, and that his mind would be unaffected. So, you know, he would be knowingly trapped inside this body that was gradually getting weaker and, you know, that's your urge as a parent is to protect your child, mm. you know, and, and this disease just rips that away from you. And all of a sudden you're just left feeling completely and utterly powerless with no choices and with nowhere to turn for comfort. And it was the most devastating weeks and months. And yeah. wait, so when you had it confirmed from the doctor, I mean, my impulse would be to say, help me, what do we do now? Were they able to help you at that point? Um, I think it's very difficult with a disease like Duchenne muscle dystrophy because there are very limited treatment options and the ones that there are, some of them do come with significant side effects. So you're given this diagnosis and then you're not really given much to cling on to. Mm -hmm. um, and especially if your son is diagnosed or your child is diagnosed relatively young, um, if, they, if you do want them to start on steroids, which is the sort of, you know, one of the medicines they can give, that doesn't tend to start till they're four or five. So then you're sort of left in this limbo for a year of not really being able to do anything, yet you can see what's coming down the line. And it's very undermining. And um, did you feel like the joy had been sucked out of your mothering experience? Initially, absolutely. And I had no idea how I was going to pick myself back up. And, and get on with life, um, you know, because it's so... I found myself watching my son one day brushing his teeth. He just got a new toothbrush and he was brushing his teeth. And I just was thinking, well, when are you going to stop being able to do that? 
rather than you know, celebrating his achievements. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's really unbearable. Alex, um, can you relate to Emily's um, moments uh, after diagnosis? Was it a similar story for you? Yeah, it was. A, a sim- I mean, we'd, I vaguely knew what the term muscular dystrophy was, but I'd never heard of, of Duchenne before Jack's diagnosis. Um, and I think we were just in complete and utter shock that this condition existed, that our son had it, and your world is just turned upside down in that instant. And for you, you had the added stress that you were pregnant at the time. Yeah, I was uh, seven months pregnant with another son, so the, the doctor and the physio had to break it to me that there was a chance that my unborn son could also have the condition, which I can't even tell you the fear that went through our bodies and just then until he was I think I actually in my head had decided he'd got the condition because I think that was my coping mechanism that I just thought right I'm going to have two children with Duchenne this is what I'm going to have to do and you know actually when we found out that he didn't have Duchenne I think it was the strangest um, reaction ever. There was kind of a euphoria, but then there was also Jack was sat there playing, mm-hmm. and we, we had to look at him and why are we celebrating? Because you I don't want to so put it in negative yeah. terms. Yeah, yeah quite. Um, did Did you feel at that moment there was a tendency to sort of hide away from the world? And from me, yes, I definitely wanted to hide away from the world, and you know I didn't want to get out from underneath the do they that's where my family came in and you know made me get up whereas my husband dealt with it very differently he rang everybody he could he wanted to meet everybody he could he wanted to be at that point very proactive and he wanted to find you know a treatment for our son what made you get up one day and say i'm not just going to let this happen to my child i'm going to fight it i'm going to set up a charity to do something about it I think, I, I think it was our friends and family, to be honest, who surrounded us. And then my husband used to play professional rugby um, for a long time. And his friends, I think, are all quite motivated as people. And they kind of, it's almost like a game plan. You've got your opposition, you come up with your strategy, you're going to tackle them out of the way and you're going <laughs> to score your try and you're going to win. Mm. And I think they were all like, right, Shen's our opposition. What, what barriers are we going to face? Let's do this, let's get, you know, we'll come up with our game plan and we're going to defeat Dushan. And I think it was their kind of mindset that, that led us to, to where we are. And separately, you were doing the same because before Dushan UK, you both ran separate charities that, that came together. Um, so neither of you had any experience of um, setting up a charity. That must have been a real challenge. Um, it's daunting. I mean, and don't forget, you're making that decision right at the point of diagnosis where you really are just struggling like Alex says to get out of bed each morning but um, I, I had a, a call sort of relatively early on with a, another mother in the US um, a woman called Tracy Seckler who runs Charlie's Fund and you know she gave me hope for the first time since the day of diagnosis she said look there are treatments coming you know there are things worth supporting there are potential medicines worth fighting for and if you've got the strength to fight with us and join us we need you you know we need as many committed parents as we can to all come together and search and accelerate you know treatments for for this generation and um, it was really speaking to her that made me think okay maybe I can make a difference Um, 
and I'm just so glad we did. I mean, I know Alex and I, you know, it's, it's a big responsibility running a patient organisation and we work extremely hard and some days it can be overwhelming. But I look back at everything we've achieved and I don't regret for a moment doing what we've done because um, you can see the real tangible outcomes of what we've been doing. We had the drive, we had the ambition that, you know, we wanted to provide treatments for this generation living with Duchenne and I think that was our focus and I think we have kind of gone about it with a steely determination of this is what we're going to do and no matter what comes up, when it comes up, we kind of deal with it and I think it is our whole lives now, you know, we work 24-7. I get calls every single night from families um, you know, I probably switch my phone off at 11 o'clock every night and stop answering messages because, you know, I think the one thing you understand as a parent is the anxiety and worries of other families and you want to help them. So for this, now, it, it is our lives. And you're both um, mothers to other children and wives to husbands. D does it have an impact? A wider impact on your life. It must have a wider impact yeah, on your life. It does. It, it definitely does. I don't think you can you can shy away from that. That you know, so much of our, our whole family's time is you know invested in doing fundraising and events and and lobbying and you know at, at times it, it can be all consuming um, and you do have to kind of think okay I've got another little boy who who needs my attention and, you know wants mummy to come and watch him play football and, and be there so I think it, sometimes it is very difficult finding the balance. And do you find it um, has put a strain on your personal life? Yes. <laughs> Obviously because you know, the idea of the charity came from our personal experience, so it is always going to be extremely personal. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things I've certainly struggled with is how to get that balance right, you know, and I have an amazingly supportive family, but, you know, I don't pick the kids up from school. I don't, I do miss things, you know, I travel um, and it's hard. And uh, on top of that, you know, carrying the emotional burden of Duchenne everywhere we go and you know I think having to put a brave face on when you're sitting in meetings being discussing the natural history of the disease discussing the progression of the disease you know I mean when Elo was diagnosed there's no way I could have sat through those meetings I would have been a complete emotional wreck and you know I think somewhere Alex and I have found this sort of inner strength to be able to fight for our sons and engage you know with the sort of brutality of this disease whilst also trying to m maintain you know, our emotions and our composure and approach it in a strategic, intelligent way rather than in a sort of knee-jerk, emotional way. So both the charities came together to create Duchenne UK. Why did you decide to uh, join forces? Oh, simply because we we were effectively working together on everything anyway. Um, and we were funding the same projects. We had exactly the same approach to how we wanted our money to be best spent. And it just made logical sense to come together. So Duchenne UK was born. What have you achieved? <laughs> where to start with that? Don't know where to start. I mean, well, we've you know we've we've raised a lot of money for a patient organisation of our size. We've raised ten million pounds in five years, and I think Alex and I decided very early on that we wanted to be as proactive as possible. And we looked at that money, and we looked at the journey it takes for a drug to leave the laboratory and go all the way through the drug development process to become approved and then paid for by organisations like Nice. And we looked along that development pipeline, and you know made a conscious decision where could 
can we most use that money and our knowledge as patient advocates to accelerate the pace of research. Um, so we're funding the basic research, um, but we're also funding um, preclinical work. So we're funding the work to get a drug into the clinic. And we are funding actual clinical trials. We've got one starting later this year. Um, and then we're also funding the doctors and nurses to run those clinical trials. So we launched something called the DMD Hub last year. Um, and we're investing significant amounts of money in that. And then the final piece of the jigsaw reimbursement, who's going to pay for those drugs? We've got Project Hercules, where we've got seven industry partners collaborating to try and smooth the process through um, NICE and bodies like that, who ultimately decide whether or not to pay for a drug. So we've really looked at the whole pathway and seen where can we most add value. Are you proud of what you've achieved? Yeah, I am. I'm really proud. You know, for two mums who were at the beginning of this journey hiding under duvets, you know, wanting the world to go away, I think we've, we've both overcome so much and got out there and, you know, not only fought for our sons, but this whole community. We want to see have treatments and helping in whatever way we can to enhance quality of life for anybody um, living with Duchenne. I think, you know, I am incredibly proud. You know, one, one example of that, sorry, is the, the tamoxifen trial. So um, we, we heard about a doctor in Switzerland who wanted to run the study, so we immediately went to meet him. We funded his project manager to make sure he could get it up and running as quickly as possible. We went to the European Medicines Agency with him to get scientific advice on the design of his trial to make sure that it was effective as it possibly could be. And then we wanted to bring the trial to the UK, so we're funding the trial at Aldehay Hospital and at Leeds Hospital. And we also wanted to make sure that um, patients who can no longer walk would still be able to take part in the trial. Um, so we've added more funding so that we can include those non-ambulant boys because at the moment most clinical trials use um, outcome measures like the six-minute walk test which require children to be ambulant to take part in the studies and we really want to try and broaden you know, the opportunity of research to as many patients as possible and by making this practical step to include uh, non-ambulant patients in the tamoxifen study we hope will sort of open the floodgates to, to other trials also including that, that patient group. So what future ambitions do you have for the charity? Get approved treatments. <laughs> yeah, we need an effective treatment for yeah. the whole of the Duchenne population. I think that is our ambition and that's where we're focused. You've also galvanised a lot of support from, from families and indeed you have something called the Family Fund. How does that work? Wouldn't Kemily and I gain strength from the support of other families and that they are joining us with our mission and, you know, collectively, you know, we're getting stronger. And we have so many families now who are setting up funds within Duchenne UK, you know, who share our vision and want to join us on this journey. And so basically how it works is they, they organise their own fundraising events and then... Um, that, that money is then ring-fenced within Duchenne UK and they are given a choice of what research projects they want to spend the money on. And, you know, I can't emphasise enough how... Um valuable and helpful this is to Alex and I because you know we don't really have anyone in charge of fundraising believe it or not to Gen UK we've got an amazingly committed very lean team um, but our focus is very much on spending money on, on research um, so we don't have anyone you know in charge of fundraising so when families come to us and say they want to help raise money to accelerate our search for treatments it really is su such an amazing support to us and we're, we're really grateful. Emily and Alex, thank you very much for uh, talking to us about Duchenne UK today. Duchenne UK has raised over £10 million in five years. It's commissioned novel research, it's funding clinical trials, helping provide trained doctors and nurses to run those trials, and in a groundbreaking collaboration, it's working with drug companies to get treatments to patients faster. 
You can find out more about the charity and donate on the website www.duchenneuk.org. Thank you for listening to Decoding Duchenne. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, recommend us to your friends and join us next time.